Hello, welcome to Inside the Euros. We now know the semi-finalists is England against Denmark and Italy against Spain. And to pick through all that, we have Dave Gibbs. Hello, Dave. Hi, all. And AFP's Kieran Canning. All right, Kieran? Hello. Right, let's get straight into it. No messing around. England are the real deal, aren't they? Smash Ukraine 4-0 in Rome. No troubles away from home. No, maybe the last to play the uh, the semi-finals and final there as well, given that they, they finally hit the goal trail away from Wembley. Yeah, I think there's there's two things to take away from the England-Ukraine game. First of all is England certainly hitting form at the right time. 4-0, goals for Harry Kane, his confidence will be through the roof. The ability to be in a quarter-final and basically sub off half your team with half an hour to go when we see the intensity that the other quarterfinals were played at in England. Literally could not have drawn up a better tournament for them in terms of getting to play six of the seven games at home, the one away game being against Ukraine um, and coming up against Denmark in the, the semi-finals. I mean, Denmark have been, have been very impressive, but if you offered Gareth Southgate before the tournament, you're going to have Ukraine in the quarterfinals and Denmark in the semi-finals. You're definitely taking it. All that said, Ukraine were a bit of a disgrace for a quarterfinal team at Euros. Uh, I certainly didn't expect much of them having seen them live on uh, on Tuesday night. And yeah, they did not uh, live down to ex- expectations. <laughs> of the, the defending was terrible. The defending all tournament has been really pretty shoddy. I mean, even going back to the, the opening game against the Netherlands, it was a great game in terms of end 3-2, but their goalkeeper really kept them in it in the first half of, of that game. The Netherlands could easily have scored six or seven goals. Uh, I thought they were very poor against Austria as well, and both sides ended up almost settling for 1-0 in that game because it, it got and ultimately got them both through, but Ukraine only really sneaked through thanks to, to other results going their way. So certainly a huge amount for England to be positive about, but I do think there's a caveat that they weren't up against much this evening. Do you think Harry Kane really is now in good form? Obviously, he scored today, but like you say, Ukraine weren't much. I was disappointed with them. Given, I feel I feel differently to you. I've seen I've seen them do some good things in this tournament. I I had faith in Yaramchuk. I thought he could give England's defenseman trouble, but there really was nothing to worry about. But Harry Kane, is it is it a case of he had to score in the last game to kind of get back into his confidence, get back into his groove? Or is it just that today's defence was, was just too easy, pathetic almost? No, I do think there were certainly signs, even more so in the second half, and I scored very early in the game, but that one he hit on the volley, which produced an incredible save from the Ukrainian goalkeeper, which you know, would have been right up there with the goals of the tournament alongside you know, the Schicks and um, some of the other great strikes we've seen. So there's certainly, I feel as if he's, he's getting into his, his groove. He did say after the group stage, I think just ahead of the, the Germany game, that he was, he felt himself that he was in better physical shape heading into the knockout stage. That he felt in Russia, even though he won the Golden Boot, five of those six goals came in the opening two games against Tunisia and Panama, and that by the time the knockout stages came against Colombia, against Sweden, and against uh, Croatia, he, you know, he wasn't at his best, and he looked as sluggish in those three games as he looked in the first three games of this tournament. Really, England got through on the back of very solid defence and Raheem Sterling sort of dragging them through in, in the important moments. And there was a bit of that tonight as well because Sterling created 
the opening goal with a, a great pass. But if you add in all those other elements that England have got going for them in terms of Pickford looking like a more confident, assured goalkeeper, Maguire coming back in, making a very strong defence alongside Stones, Luke Shaw looking like Reverso Carlos, <laughs> uh, then all these options they have off the bench to change a game if they need to. I mean, tonight they won 4-0, they, they emptied the bench and they still left Foden and Grealish on the sidelines for the, the full game. So, I mean, it certainly looks incredibly positive for them. The only thing that I can see that stand in their way on, on Wednesday night against Denmark, I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about their game against the Czech Republic, is just that weight of expectation. They dealt with it very well tonight in terms of being heavy favourites for that game, but with the, the crowd being there on Wednesday night, and there's going to be 60,000, so it's even 15,000 more than was there for the Germany game. Those England fans going to that game are going to expect England to win, and if, if the game goes on nil-nil half-time, nil-nil 60 minutes, and they start to turn a little bit and add a bit more pressure, then what should be the, the benefit of the crowd might turn against them, but that's literally the only thing I can see going against them. Everything else is positive, and you kind of feel with, with England, if they're not going to win it now, <laughs> will they ever win it? Because they just have so much going in their favour. I think you make a good point there, Kieran, about the, the finishes off the bench, and this is something I think Gareth Southgate has actually learnt from Eddie Jones, the England rugby head coach. Uh, that they, I mean, it, it's been shown in the past that they've had talks, they, they've been to each other's training camps, they've, they've sort of learnt lessons from each other, and he's now describing the substitutes as finishers, which is, I think, it's great to change the mentality of the squad. He's, he talks about having the togetherness of the squad. He spoke in his, in his post-match interview as well that he was disappointed he wasn't able to bring on the likes of Sam Johnston and players like this who have contributed, who are contributing in the training sessions, who are pushing four places and pushing almost a starting eleven to be on top of their game. And the luxury to have all these finishes, to, to come on in the last half now, to rest these players, it's, it, it bodes well for this England side. Yeah, I mean, you saw that in the Germany game, I think more. That's the type of game where it's very tight. It was 75 minutes, nil-nil, but he was able to bring on Grealish and he provided sort of two moments, well, certainly two sparks that, that led to the, the two goals. I mean, there are, they do have a, a solid spine in terms of players that have played every game in, in Pickford, Stones, uh, Sterling, Kane, uh, Rice and Phillips in, in midfield. But they have all these extra players and, and going into these final two games where we don't expect it to be as easy as it was tonight. Despite all the fears normally um, about England at major tournaments in terms of them being fatigued from a very demanding season because of the number of games that English teams play and the intensity of the Premier League. Actually, in many cases, England are arriving as the fresher team because they have been able to... to take it easy in the last half an hour tonight. They've changed quite a lot of other players. So they started with Foden, for example, in the first couple of games. Then Saka and Grealish came into the team. Tonight we see Sancho for the first time. And they just have this wealth of options that I think the three other teams left in the competition. Spain arguably have it in attacking areas and they've made substitutions, particularly in the Croatia and, and the Switzerland games that, um, that made an impact off the bench. But... Um, in terms of a squad, if you're looking at the four semi-finalists, there's no doubt that England have the, 
the greatest strength in depth. Do you think, well, yeah, I, was, I was literally about to ask that question, actually. Do you think England is the strongest team left in the tournament? Not Maybe not in terms of tactics. I feel like Roberto Mancini and Luis Enrique are probably the best two coaches left in the tournament. But in terms of pure 11s on paper and, and even beyond that reserve strength and depth, like you said, England, to me, look the strongest team. Yeah, I, mean, I think Italy might run them close in the first 11. But I think it's that strength, uh, strength and depth off the bench because even looking at Italy in the Belgium game, for example, like Chiesa was a great substitute for them against uh, Austria, but with him rightly starting, and he certainly deserved to, to earn a place in the starting lineup. They really had to sort of shut up shop against Belgium. They didn't have a, a game changer off the bench to try and come on and, and score a, a third goal. I also think with coming back to the point of is Kane now in form, in fact that Kane scored three goals in the last two games and it really matters, I think could be the difference between England compared to Spain and Italy. Because I think Spain and Italy, both very good teams, but both lack a real prolific um, world-class number nine. We all know the problems that Spain have had with Morata, but they saw Gerard Moreno come on for him in the Switzerland game and have a Morata, you know, <laughs> missing chances left, right and centre. Uh, and the same with, with Italy, with Immobile again last night, I just felt against uh, against Belgium. He's not, you know, you, if, if Italy are to go on and win it, you're getting vibes of like the France teams that won the World Cups in 98 and 2018 with Guy and Giroud that, that did it without a, a world-class striker. So, when it comes to the crunch, you know, if if it is England to make it through against Denmark and, and come up against Italy or Spain in the final, or even comparing it to Denmark, uh, again, I think a very good team that lack a real prolific striker. Um, Rick will know very well watching uh, Martin Braithwaite uh, in La Liga for Barcelona, but I was getting a bit of stick from Barcelona fans on Twitter this afternoon because I was saying Braithwaite, he works so hard, but he's just so terrible on the ball and the number of chances that he, he didn't even spurn himself in terms of a, a shooting chance, but just like the final pass that was so wayward or, or put his strike partner under pressure. Um, Yusuf Poulsen came on and had a few chances, but again, he's a similar type of striker that works really hard, but isn't really clinical. Coming into these final, these semi-finals and final where it is very fine margins and details that decide games, then England seem to have that greater greater quality in the final third that could make all the difference. Let's move on to Denmark. That's England's opponents in the semi-finals. And I think you're right about Brathwaite. He does lack quality on the ball, but I feel a bit sorry for him because for Denmark and for Barcelona, he's often used in wide areas up front. When really, he's a centre-forward. He just, he just wants to play down the middle. And I think he does a good job. He works hard, like you say, Kieran. He, he, you know, he works his socks off on the flanks. But ultimately, he, he doesn't want the ball. He just wants the ball into feet to be able to to just beat a man and, and have a shot a goal. And, and he doesn't get that for either club or country. But Denmark as a whole do look pretty good. They struggled in the second half against the Czech Republic today. The first half was was a very convincing display. And the second half was dodgy. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, coming back to the point on, you know, if England could drop a, a major tournament win, you know, this is the plan to come up with. And one of the things would be, on top of everything else, their semi-final opponents have had to go to Baku. <laughs> and I think that that second-half performance from Denmark had a lot to do with the conditions. And the conditions were really energy-sapping. It was really, really hot there. Um, and I thought that both teams, I thought maybe this contributed by the early goal. But the first half was a lot more intense, and a lot more end-to-end than I was expecting. I thought it was going to be quite a cagey game between those two teams. 
uh, listening to the press conferences on the day before the game, there was a lot of respect between them because they were basically saying that what the other team was good at was what they were good at <laughs> in terms of they're very they were very um solid, hard working, well organized teams that are looked to take their chance in the counter attack and set pieces. Um and that was kind of blown out of the water a bit by by Denmark scoring so early because then they were allowed to sort of sit on it a little bit and counterattacked very well. But the Czech Republic really went for the game from very early on, much more than I'd seen them so far in this tournament. I mean, even when they played well against Croatia or, or against the Netherlands, they, they weren't really starting on the front foot. They kind of grew into the game. So um, so I think that was this energy sapping for, for both sides. But yeah, that would be my, my fear for Denmark going into the semi-final that we all know their story in this tournament and how much of an emotional roller coaster that has been. And they can ride off the adrenaline of that for so long. And I think they did, particularly when they had the home crowd there in Copenhagen or even in Amsterdam where they played, it was almost like having a home crowd. Whereas today, I felt you, you saw that the, the effects of that, the energy levels were sapping a bit. They've had to make a really long journey. They've played in really stifling conditions. And, and whilst you know England had to play in hot conditions in Rome, as we said earlier, they were able to sort of chill out for the last half hour or so. So Denmark had to go 96 minutes and, and were hanging on at the end. So I think, I mean, whatever happens for Denmark now, it's been a sensational tournament for them. And I think maybe they'll relish the game on Wednesday being underdogs again, because I think going into this game, they were the favourites and that doesn't really sit very easily with them. Uh, but yeah, my my concern for them would be just as if they're if they're running out of steam just as it comes into the semi-finals. I was going to say Denmark of don't forget they won at Wembley in the Nations League recently one 0 Eriksson scored scoring the penalty. Um, they also held England to a draw in Copenhagen, so they were their recent record against the English is is not bad, and it's definitely something they can hold on to. And the the squad hasn't the England squad hasn't marginally changed since that Nations League. Um, setting sort of a, a couple of months ago, you know, seven or eight months ago. So the Danes should be confident, and they do seem to be playing well as a team. They, you know, they they've lost their star man, but they are playing as a team, and sometimes that might just get them through. Yeah, I think with them, I mean, one of the things to point out about that game that they won at Wembley was Harry Maguire was sent off very early on in the game, which kind of changed the. You know what you would expect from a, a game between England and Denmark home. It was also a game behind closed doors, as most games were last season. So it's you know it's going to be a very different atmosphere come Wednesday night. But yeah, the thing that I, I do think Denmark can um, look forward to or look to try and take their, their their chance on is that with the expectation being on England to to go and win the game. And we've seen England in some of the games at Wembley against supposedly weaker opposition in in Scotland and the Czech Republic. Uh, struggle to to break teams down. If Denmark can defend well, and we know they've got you know very good strong centre backs and likes of uh, Kerr and, and Christensen, and then use that counter attack that we saw quite a lot uh, against the Czech Republic today, and um, use the pace of of Brathwaite if and Pilsen if he starts, Mela on the left, the left back has been one of the players of the tournament and just seems to to bomb forward constantly. So. They could take their their chance um, on a breakaway. Um, Kasper Schmeichel was inspired in the FA Cup final at Wembley just uh, a month or so ago. So 
I think they're going to need another big performance from him if they're uh, if if they're to do it. But yeah, he certainly would would favour England based on everything we've said so far. What about the midfield though? Because I feel like England's midfield, Rice and Phillips, they've been they've been good this tournament. But I also like Denmark's midfield. I like Delaney and I like Hoiberg in there. I think it's a I think that'll be a real battle. And whoever wins that is I mean I'm not going to say favourites because England are the favourites undoubted. But I think whoever wins that battle will surely win the game. Yeah, I think there are four um, four workhorses, but also four players that can play a bit as well. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. That would be a very interesting battle. But I, I also wonder with England's midfield, I think one of the big differences that um, made tonight was getting Mason Mount back in there. He's obviously missed the last three games because of his... Uh, he was he was too friendly with Billy Gilmore and <laughs> got too close. And uh, was was forced into isolation, and then came out of isolation just a day before the Germany game, so hadn't trained with the team. So he makes a big difference to that England midfield because again, he's uh, he's whilst Rice and Phillips and and Delaney and Hoiberg, you would think of them as being more destroyers, but then can also get on the ball and pass a bit. Like Mount is a creative passing player, but who also works really hard and presses really well. So um, I think that could make a big a big difference come the semi-final and with Hoiberg and Delaney. Delaney scored the, the first goal today, but he was taken off with about 15 minutes to go because he just looked shattered. And Hoiberg's one of those players that's played almost every minute for Tottenham in the Premier League this season as well. So again, it's just, will Denmark have the energy for another big effort? Um, particularly because, you know, even if, if the game's tighter than we would expect it to be, there's a good chance it goes to extra time and then that favours England even more in terms of the options they have off the bench. So I just think it's going to be a case of if England handle the pressure and play as well as they can do, then they'll win. But if if the expectation gets them a bit, the pressure gets them a bit, if the, if the crowd turn on them, if they're not winning, you know, come half-time, that's what could, uh, could give Denmark hope. But yeah, as we say, England have to be favoured based on on what certainly what we've seen today from the two teams. We like a drink or two or four or five or six at Inside the Euros, and we've partnered with Beer Fifty Two to bring you listener an exclusive offer. Just go to beer52.com/euro2020 or use the code Euro2020, and you can get a free case of eight unique craft beers from Beer Fifty Two. The only fee to pay is $5.95 postage and packing. The cost of a pint for eight craft beers is a fantastic deal. You'd be part of the world's largest beer club with over 178,000 active members. And each month you get sent a case of beer on a different theme. It comes with a magazine and a snack. If you don't like dark beer, you can choose an option for just light beers only. You can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. Go to www.beer52.com euro2020. Only listeners in the UK can benefit from this promotion. Italy against Belgium was one of the games of the tournament so far. And I think in the end, I mean, I'd love to see extra time in that one. I would have loved if Belgium can get an equaliser and take it the extra 30. But I think Italy just about deserved the win, despite their filthy behaviour in the last 15 minutes, no? Yeah, but I mean, I, f- I feel as if this tournament has lacked a bit of shithousery. <laughs> so I was quite glad to see it. I think... Uh... You know, it's all been it's, the referees have been allowing too much to you know too many incidents that have just been play on and no fouls and you know Italy, Italy the, the Italy that everyone was falling in love with for their 
fast, free-flowing, attacking football, and you know they were the good guys for once, and they just you know they felt they had to they had to go back to Italian football heritage and just start rolling around and kill the clock. But <laughs> now, nah, being, being serious, it, it does actually go to show that there is a a real winning mentality in this Italy team too. Yes, they they have played a lot of good football. They're on this amazing winning streak. They're maybe not playing in Italian style that we've seen for generations. But when it came to the crunch, they still knew how to close the game out by any means necessary. Uh, one big blow to them will be one of the uh, major stoppage, stoppages was uh, Spinazzola going down um, with what looks like well, is a very nasty in- injury. So he's, his tournament's done and you know, he'll be out for quite a long time and he'll be a big miss because he's been a massive player for them. Uh, but I, there was maybe players showing up last night for Italy that hadn't had the best tournament so far. So Barella, who was a major hope for them coming into the tournament, but maybe been overshadowed a bit by Locatelli and Chiesa. Um, his first goal was a brilliant goal to to get things going for them. And then Insigne, another player who you know, had kind of carried Italian's hopes coming into the tournament. But I'd flattered to deceive a bit, although he, he scored in the opening game against Turkey, but again, produced an absolutely wonderful finish. And at 2-0, given the Italians' defensive record, you thought the game was over. Obviously, Belgium get the penalty and get back into it and had a few chances in the second half. But I'd agree with you, Rick, I think over the course of the 90 minutes that Italy deserved to go through. I don't understand why no defence knows how to stop Insigne from that left-hand side because you know the only thing he's going to do is let Arjen Robin on the other flank for the Netherlands over the years or for Bayern Munich or Chelsea or whoever is to cut inside and curl it in the top corner. I swear I've watched every Italy game in this tournament and all Insigne has ever done in any of those games is just try and bend it in that top corner. And he did it again and he beat Thibaut Courtois, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. How, how have Belgium allowed that to happen? Yeah, well, one of the things that I felt was interesting, just comparing, and this isn't criticising Courtois because it was a, a great strike, but there was a shot from De Bruyne at nil nil, which was equally just like arrowing into the top corner and Donnarumma made an incredible save. And that goes back to those fine margins that decide these these knockout ties, you know, if that one from De Bruyne goes into the top corner and it's 1-0 Belgium and they can sit on it and counter-attack, then it could be a, a very different game. You know, a different note, De Bruyne played with ankle ligament damage and given the, the state of the injury, again, played incredibly because he just did KDV things, you know, throughout the whole game. His ability to, for someone who doesn't look that quick, to just, like, accelerate on the counter-attack and the, the chances that he created... For Lukaku, who although he scored a penalty, I don't think he had his best night. There was a lot of build up in this about uh, Lukaku against the Italian defence and the uh, and the Italian press, given how well he's done for um for Inter this season. But Chiellini being back in there has has largely managed them pretty well in the Juventus Inter games, um and he had a, a very clean Chiellini type performance. You know, going around celebrating blocks as if they're goals, jumping into the crowds at the end of the match, um. So yeah, I think if if you were picking one team that could stop England from here on out, I think it's Italy. A bit more based on their defensive records uh, and the fact that they have you know a few players that can come up with a magic moment, whether it be Insigne or Chiesa or Barella. Uh, but it'll be an interesting game going in against Spain in the semi-finals. We'll talk about Spain in a minute, but I'm quite interested in how you view that Italy-Spain game because Italy haven't really played any team that is 
wanting to dominate the ball in this tournament as much as Spain do. I mean, no team in Europe wants to dominate the ball as much as Spain do. But, you know, Italy against Austria, Austria were playing, were pressing and they were playing on the counter. I think Italy against Belgium, even Belgium were using Jeremy Doku as, you know, an outlet to, to, to hit Italy on the break and stuff like that. It wasn't a case of Italy having to be the team that has less of the balls throughout the tournament. How do you view the Spain clash? I actually think Spain are almost perfect opponents for them, despite that, what you're saying in terms of that change of style, because watching Spain throughout the course of the tournament, there's a good team in there, but they have an incredible capacity to self-destruct. So whether that be missing penalties in the group stages, Laporte being like shoved around by Lewandowski, uh, the Croatia game, the Unai Simon Pedri incident, I don't know who else, who was credited with the own goal in the end, but it was Unai Simon's fault. They're getting 3-1 ahead. And it, yeah, Unai got it in the end, deservedly so. Getting 3-1 ahead and throwing away in the last 10 minutes. Yesterday against Switzerland, everything seems to be going their way. They get deflected goal. Um, Switzerland's most dangerous player, Nimbolo, goes off injured. And then, they, again, they just like have an absolutely calamitous defensive moment for... Uh, Laporte and Paul Torres run into each other and present the goal to to Shikiri. So I just feel like there's more streetwiseness in this uh, in this Italy team. You, you can imagine, you know, Chiellini and Bonucci coming up against Morata. I mean, they're going to absolutely love that and eat them alive. Uh, Spain will undoubtedly pass the ball around and have like 60-70% possession, but I can just see them coming up against an Italian brick wall, and then I don't trust that that Spanish defence that the few questions that are posed of them, I'm pretty sure that Italy will score. Italy will be without Spinazzolo, who's been, like you said earlier, one of the best players of the tournament. There's been a lot of good fullbacks in the tournament. We talked about this before, but like Shaw today again, a couple of assists, Gossens for Germany. There's a lot of good fullbacks in the world at the moment. Yeah, Mela, Mela for Denmark, I think it's been incredible as well. Both Mela and, and Spinazzola are um, sort of right, right-footed left-backs, uh, but have been you know, two of the, the players of the tournament. But yeah, I think that's just a general tactical evolution, isn't it? Pretty much everyone now plays with inverted forwards, like you were talking about with Insigne earlier on, that he just wants to come in on his right foot all the time. So that just that leaves that whole left flank for Spinazzola just absolutely bomb forward. Um, but yeah, one of the things, just because fullbacks is probably the most demanding position now in terms of uh, physicality to get up and down the line constantly. And as much as we talk about teams being tired now towards the end of the tournament I've been pleasantly surprised by just the intensity at which uh, the, the, this tournament has been played at but I think we particularly saw it in three of the four quarterfinals that after such a long season practically one in a, one in a third seasons um, merged into one with the, the, the layover, layover of, of the 2019-20 season because of COVID and um, I think a lot of people expected this tournament to just be um, pretty slow going, a lot of fatigued players, a lot of injuries. Um, but it been, I've been pleasantly surprised by the, the intensity of it and, and hopefully it does keep going in into the these last three games because um, it's been a much better tournament than I think a lot of people were expecting it to be. It's been amazing. It's been one of the best tournaments I've seen. I mean, I'm discounting Russia because I went to, to the Russia World Cup and it's kind of diff- when you're there, you always enjoy it more than if, if you're not. But like, I think it's one of the best Euros I've seen since I was a kid. It's one of the best overall tournaments I've seen in years. And despite, you know, half full stadiums, nearly empty stadiums in some cases, and now some fuller stadiums as we get towards the end, 
it's been remarkable. And one of the teams that's kind of made it like that in the last couple of games has been Spain. They have, you know, hit 10 goals in two games and then were taken to the wire by Switzerland. Did you think Spain were out when it went to penalties? Their record is so poor. They'd missed their last five. Switzerland scored all five against France in that shootout. Yeah, I, I was thinking this, that if, you, if you're if you a Frenchman or a French player watching those penalties last night, you'd be absolutely furious with the standard <laughs> of the Swiss penalties because they had absolutely five bangers on uh, on Monday night to, to put France out and then serve up uh, those yesterday. I mean, I think I, I agree with you. I thought Spain were out when it went to penalties and then you know, it comes to their first one and Bus gets hit the post. And uh, I I was I was uh, envisaging a one of those penalty shootouts that ends three 0 <laughs> you know, yeah, three yeah. misses and three Swiss goals. And um, but fair play to Unai Simon. I'm actually I'm uh, writing an article at the moment about Luis Enrique ahead of the semi final against Italy because he has a lot of history with Italy with the uh, Tassotti destroying his nose at the '94 uh, World Cup. But how all his his big decisions have have largely come good for him. So they've got to the semi finals despite uh, not bringing Ramos. His insistence in sticking by Morata came good in the the last sixteen with his goal against Croatia. I know now Simon uh, yesterday in the quarterfinals. It was a big debate going into the tournament who was going to be the number one. He he trusted Unai Simon. Um, he had that massive mistake against Croatia for the opening goal. But came good uh, yesterday. Had a good, a few, a couple of decent saves in the normal time as well. But then, um, yeah, just his his presence on the line. I mean, he made two great saves, and then the, the third one gets blasted over. But I, I feel like the third one is almost missed because um, Vargas is trying to be so precise because of the way that that Simon had saved the two of the first three penalties. So. It's all coming up, Luis Enrique. We'll see if he uh, gets revenge against Italy on Tuesday night. Do you think his decision not to take the full squad of uh, 26 players is going to maybe come back to bite him if, as we get to the latter stage? Well, now we're in the latter stages. I'm not sure because actually I think he's one been one of the, the managers that's been most proactive with his subs. He's been like, he's not held back in making like two or three subs very early on in games. Um, we saw that even yesterday and he's changed the team around quite a lot as well so there's pretty much I think Laporte would be apart from Simon obviously um, the only Spanish player that I can think of that has started and played the vast majority of minutes in every game because even though Morata's uh, started every game he's he's come off quite a lot of times we've seen Olmo uh, and Oryathabal have a big impact off the bench. Um, he sort of rotates. Pedro is the other one. He ne- He's nearly played every minute, yeah. Pedro, yeah. Yeah, and Pedro's like an interesting one because you know he's only like 18 and he's played every minute, including um, including like two sets of, of extra time. So, But yeah, even though like he's rotated in and out, Alba, Busquets obviously didn't start the tournament because of his COVID. Uh, Pau Torres and Eric Garcia rotated at centre-back. Billy Cueta didn't start at right-back but has come in. Uh, subsequently, even like players like Thiago has barely played. So even even only taking the the twenty four instead of the twenty six, they still you know have plenty of of players there. Um, and I think it's probably worked for him. And his his justification for doing it was to to foster a better squad harmony. Um, and certainly seems to do that. I mean, I think there is a there is a bit of a sense of 
the Spanish squad trying to prove people long, wrong and obviously there's so much noise out of the Madrid media about them not taking any Real Madrid uh, players and a lot of criticism for, for Luis Enrique over that so I think there's a bit of them them trying to, to prove people long, wrong and I think given the expectations for Spain in this tournament it's pretty much already a, a success and obviously Spain never like losing to Italy it's you know it's very fierce um, rivalry through the years that you know, for generations Italy always had the upper hand and then the whole history of Spanish football sort of switched in that penalty shootout against Italy at Euro 2008 where they go on to win the tournament and then they they beat they thrash Italy again in the final of, of Euro 2012 so um, I think for where Spain have come from in the in the, the previous tournaments since that run of 2008, 2010, 2012 is a team that didn't get out of the group stages at the 2014 World Cup. They got out. They got knocked out of the last 16 uh, in the last Euros in the last World Cup. Um, they have at least, you know, got to the semi-finals again. And I, I, I would favour Italy slightly, but um, but it wouldn't be a massive surprise if, if Spain won. Do you think? And I think uh, maybe I'm I'm paying hyper attention to Spain because it's a team that I cover. Do you think they've been lucky in many ways in the sense that? Okay, sure. They didn't. You know, they drew their first two games, and then in the third game of the group against Slovakia, Dubravka punched the ball into his own net to, to open the floodgates basically and let them roll on to get that big win. And then in the next round of the tournament, they played Croatia, who could have threw away their lead. They came back, Croatia. They could have won it, and then eventually Spain won it in in added time. And they played against a Switzerland team without Granite Xhaka in midfield the captain and the leader. And then, and now they play against an Italy without the best player of their tournament in the semi-final, Spinazzola. I think this is going to be the real test of Spain because until now, one of the things that I thought you were going to hint on there was we talked, I mean, it's been mentioned ad nauseum about how the draw has opened up for England. But the draw until now has kind of opened up for Spain as well. Like If they had won their group, uh, as everyone expected them to, uh, yes, they would have got uh, a pretty, a much easier last 16 game in, in Ukraine, but then they would have played England tonight in the, the quarterfinals, whereas by finishing second in the group, they got Croatia, and then they got Switzerland when everyone was expecting them to get France. Um, so from that point of view, it has like opened up for them, but now is the real test. It's like an Italy team that were one of the favourites before the tournament and have lived up to that, that billing. So um, I think now we'll get a sense of, of how good Spain are. And I just feel like having already gone twice to extra time, having drawn two of their, their three group games, it's hardly been uh, a spectacular run. You know, I think it's maybe been looked on more favourably because the two games they did win, they scored five goals in. So that's you know, understandable why um, people got excited by that. But in the broad scheme of things, I've not been too impressed by with Spain. Just feel there's there's too many deficiencies in that team to be a, a tournament winning team. We might be wrong, they might go on and, and win these two games and and win the Euros again, but there just seems such a gulf in class and quality between this Spanish team and the Spanish teams that have won a European Championship before. Obviously there's two games before then, but if they get to the final, would you fancy Spain against England? I would, I think. I think Gareth Southgate's team would never have a Scoobies about how to deal with Spain keeping the ball so much. Possibly, but I just feel like with with Spain and 
contrast to what particularly what we've seen in England tonight, these major tournaments are basically decided in both boxes, and I think Spain are like the kings of the play between, between both them. boxes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. but not in the but not in the boxes, <laughs> and uh, there's like oh again as we saw again that Switzerland game, like absolutely calamitous error for the the Swiss equaliser. They just they're always seen as a mistake in that Spanish defence. And you know, in a game of few chances, if it came to it, would you trust Morata or even Jared Moreno from what he's shown in this tournament to put it away? Um, I wouldn't. So I just feel like, despite everything we think in terms of the history of, especially the recent history of both nations in a final, um, I would still favour this England team, particularly because they'd have the crowd and everything behind them. Uh, and I just feel it's such a historic chance for England now. If if they mess this up then, yeah, don't have a winner tournament again. That is a sad note to end on, but it's a note we're ending on indeed. Thanks, Kieran. Appreciate that. Great insight from you. And let's see what happens in the semi-finals. Follow us on social media. Recommend or try our Beer 52 trial because who doesn't want to create a free eight craft beers? Fantastic. See you next time. <laughs>